Hello everyone, Bob Main here, and you are listening to today's survival show, where it is my goal to help you harness the power of choice to live life the way you want to live it, on your own terms, and strengthen your resolve. I make survival simple, not extreme. Welcome to episode 119 of today's survival show. Today is Monday, November 15th, but you're going to hear this probably two or three days from now. I'm doing a little bit of recording in advance here because I'm going to be taking a business trip. Uh, Got to go to orientation and new training for my new career opportunity. Uh, so taking advantage of some windshield time here, actually driving to my, my very ver- very first appointment uh, in my new job. And uh, it's it's exciting. Again, Hopefully you enjoyed my last episode on reinventing yourself. Uh, so this is my first step in the, in the process of reinventing myself. But today I'm going to talk about danger signs. Today I'm going to talk about the, 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 the state of the United States economy and the world economy. Um, you know, I don't engage in a lot of tinfoil hat type thinking. I don't engage in a lot of, you know, conspiracy theories and things like that. But, you know, this show I'm going to talk about some stuff that's that's really going on that's not reported much. So this is not far out thinking. This is reality, and I'm kind of going to do this to kind of heighten awareness. That's my main goal here: is to heighten awareness. That's what I try to do with this show, and then let you, the listener, decide what to do. I am going to talk about some how tos in this show as well. But let's talk about some of the danger signs that the U.S. economy is is headed for now don't believe everything you hear i know there's a lot of rhetoric going on out there you know there's there's one side of the political fence and folks this is not a political show i don't do much about politics on this show if you noticed if, you, if you're tuning in for the first time you're going to find that this is a practical show without a lot of politics and without a lot of crazy stuff but if you've been following me you know that it's something that i don't like to get into too much you know, but you got some clowns on one side of the political aisle that are saying, oh, just be patient with us. Just, admit, you know, hang on and don't get so impatient. Everything we've done in the last two or three years is going to work out and so on and so forth. And in the meantime, they're piling up trillions and trillions and trillions of, of dollars of debt which I'll talk about. But then you have some clowns on the other side. And folks, you know, these are all politicians. So it's hard to take them seriously, isn't it? I mean, you know, folks, let let me state a a premise here that I want to kind of have this premise permeate the entire show this week. And that is the premise is that all of our problems were not fixed on November 2nd at the voting booth, okay? You know, just because it was a major shift in government's power here in the United States, and for you international listeners, I don't know how familiar you are with our government, how we work here in the United States, but our Congress holds a lot of power. And our Congress, actually, our representatives and our senators, the power just shifted dramatically. But that didn't solve all of our problems. In fact, I think it just kind of scratched the surface of some of the problems. So for those of you who think, oh, well, you know what, I don't need to prepare anymore now. We got the right people voted into office, and that's fine. I don't have to prepare anymore. I'm sorry, you're sorely mistaken. I hope you're not thinking that way. I hope you're not that naive. I really hope you're not, because all of our problems were not fixed. So you have these other clowns on the other side saying, well, that's all we got to do is cut taxes, and all we got to do is change this and rein in spending and so forth, and everything's going to be okay. Now, I will agree that cutting taxes and reining in spending must be done if we 
have a prayer, folks. Seriously, I mean that must be done. And I think it would be you'd be hard pressed to find anybody in the country right now that would disagree with you that cutting taxes and reining in spending. Uh, you might find it hard to find someone that would disagree with you on that. There's some, but I don't know how anybody can intelligently conclude that we can just keep spending the way we're spending right now and just keep taxing the crap out of people every way that we possibly can and expect the economy to grow. That's just simply not going to happen, folks. It's been tried over and over again. But you got some of these clowns that say, all right, well, we're in office, we're going to fix everything now. Not that's not going to happen. I really don't believe that. I don't believe that just because, you know, conservative-minded, you know, Tea Party-minded folks, and, folk, and you know what, and I voted for some of them, I'll, I'll admit, but they're not going to fix everything, folks. You still have to have personal responsibility, and you have to look at things for what they are. And I'm going to try to paint that picture for you here in this show. All right, so let's dive into it. If you hear another little voice, by the way, that other little voice that you hear is my GPS. There's no one else in the in the uh, in the car with me right now. But let's talk about some danger signs that that our economy is showing right now. Most Americans believe, unfortunately, they believe erroneously. I think that our economy is going to recover and recover pretty quickly from the situation that we're in. I don't see it that way. Okay? I think the truth is that the very foundation of our country's economy is pretty much coming apart at the seams. And I think we're headed for a massive, massive amount of financial trouble as a nation. And I think it's going to bleed over into other parts of the world as well. Okay, And one of the things that is, is causing this problem is the debt load. Not just the debt load of our country, but the debt load of our consumers. Do you realize that U.S. consumers have piled up the biggest mountain of debt in the history of the world? And one of the things is, you know, piling up all this debt, it's, it's given people the ability to enjoy a standard of living for several decades that was not sustainable. And the problem is, is that high standard of living was driving them to such huge amount of, uh, amounts of debt, and now the bills are coming due, and people can't pay them. And this is something that you don't see reported a lot. Every once in a while, the news touches on this, on, on consumer debt. But it seems like no one even really realizes how, how great of a financial disaster that the United States finds itself in the middle of. Not to mention gov- government debt. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. Now, I've seen things on the Internet, and, and this is what really bothers me, and this is something I want to talk about here. I've seen people on survival websites and forums post crap like, well, it doesn't matter what kind of debt I have. I mean, if the world's going to go, you know, if, if the crap's going to hit the fan, if the world's going to end as we know it, and it's going to be chaos, and, you know, and, and it's going to be, you know, all kinds of end-of-the-world Armageddon's type stuff, my debt's not going to matter, because the currency is going to crumble, and the economy's going to crumble, crumble, and the whole financial system's going to crumble, and I won't ever have to pay it back. I don't like that kind of thinking. You know, first of all, let me say, that's wrong. Number one, it's just wrong. It's wrong to borrow and spend money that's not yours without the intention of paying it back, okay? I don't believe that's what good survivalists do. And let me just say that right up front. 
Second of all, until that time comes where we have some type of a real end-of-the-world situation, until that time comes, you are going to have to pay your obligations. Now, most of you know I'm a big fan of managing your money properly. And I'm a big fan of reducing spending as much as you possibly can. And you'd be amazed how you don't really have to reduce your standard of living too much, folks. But you can still reduce spending. I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, because I changed jobs, I had, to, I had to purchase a vehicle. So a couple of weeks ago, I purchased a vehicle. And I'll tell you about what I, what I, what I did here. Um, I was getting a company car, and now um, they made it financially worth my while. Don't, don't get me wrong. It, it was financially worth my while to do this. But I had to buy my own vehicle. So I followed the Dave Ramsey mantra. I paid for my vehicle in cash. I bought an eight-year-old Honda, folks. Okay, I, I got what I feel is a good deal. I, I found an eight-year-old Honda Accord uh, with only 65,000 miles on it in good shape. It was a one-owner car. Seems like the previous owner took real good care of it. I had it checked out. And, uh, you know, it, it seems like it's a pretty good running car. Hondas typically last for a long time. It's good gas mileage. You know, I get 30 miles a gallon on the freeway. And... Uh, I paid cash. I have no payments on this thing. No payments. So if this job doesn't work out, guess what, folks? I have no payments that are going to drown me. Plus, somebody else took the depreciation on this car for eight years. I'll get a couple hundred thousand miles out of this car. And I can tell you one thing. I don't think I'm going to have to put as much money into this as I would a monthly payment every month. I mean, to drive something decent is what, $400 a month? Right? So if you look at $400 a month and you multiply that by 12, that's five grand a year. Just in payments, folks. Just in payments. Am I going to have to put $5,000 a year into this eight-year-old Honda with only 65,000 miles on it that's in pretty good shape? Probably not. And I'm going to bet on that, that I'm probably not going to have to do that. Okay? $5,000 is a lot of money to spend on repairs every year, and most people don't put that into their car every year. Not to mention... I'm going to save a lot of money on insurance driving a little bit of an older car and a used car. I'd pay a lot more in insurance, and I'd have to continuously carry full coverage insurance if I had a financed vehicle. I don't have to do that with this vehicle. So I've put myself in a position where I've got something, I've got a vehicle that once I've run this thing out, once I've uh, you know run this thing till it, it's not practical to run it anymore, I'm still going to be able to sell it for a little bit of money, recover some of the money that I paid in cash for it, and folks, this car was well under 10000 bucks. So, you know, that's the thing, that's, that's called managing your money. Uh, I'm not vain enough to have to have this brand new 2011 to run around and doing my job with. Okay, that's just, I don't care, you know, and my customers aren't going to care. My customers aren't going to care if I pull up in an 8-year-old Honda or if I pulled up in a, in a 2011 uh, BMW. They don't care. And I know that. They're going to buy from me, not because I'm not the kind of business where a car matters. If I was in the kind of business where a car matters, it might be a little bit different story, but I'm not. So I think I made what was, uh, I think, a pretty smart purchase. Now, managing your money. So going without car payments, folks, you know, do you realize that if most people went without car payments? I mean, think about it. How, how ra- if you have car payments, let me ask you a question. How radically would your life change for the better if you didn't have those car payments? So the large amount of debt 
that U.S. consumers are piling up. A lot of it includes financed vehicles and overpriced homes that they couldn't afford to buy in the first place. So let me talk about 10 big danger signs that is going to show you just how much of a mess the United States economy is in. And these are some things that I've been studying and putting together for you to think about here. The first one is, I don't know if you know this, but the FDIC is opening a satellite office in Chicago. And that satellite office, and I'll put a link to all this, folks. There's articles and everything to back all this stuff up. So I'll put a link in the show notes. That FDIC satellite office is going to accommodate up to about 500 temporary staffers and contractors to manage receiverships and liquidate assets from what they expect to be a massive wave of failed banks in the Midwest. Think about that. Why would they have put a satellite office there? Okay, just something to think about. Here's something else. The U.S. Treasury announced that foreign holdings of U.S. Treasury securities dropped by $53 billion in one month this year. That's the biggest decline in history. I think I'm pretty sure that was in October. Okay, China alone reduced its holdings of U.S. Treasuries by $34 billion. So think about that. What happens if foreigners like China and others, what if they quit buying up all of our debt? Right? What happens then? Then we're left holding the bag. We're left holding that debt. What do you think the government's going to do? If foreign interests are not buying up our debt, guess who they're coming after for the debt, folks? They're coming after you and me and everybody listening to this program in the form of income tax. That's who they're coming after. Or in the form of other taxes. If they can't get you on income, they'll start taxing everything else. They'll start taxing fuel higher. They'll start taxing groceries higher. They'll start taxing utilities higher. Services higher. Everything. It's going to go up and up and up and up. The third sign that our economy is in a mess is mortgage defaults. Uh, In the United States, mortgage defaults have continued to hit record highs, folks. And housing prices are hitting record lows. Here in Texas, uh, I tell you what, our housing prices just keep dropping on the average. Okay, There's still people out there with adjustable rate mortgages that are coming due. and And the rates are going up. So we haven't seen the last of the mortgage defaults yet. And number four... um, There's one, you know, speaking of mortgage defaults and stuff, there's one study that shows that it estimates that about 5 million houses and condos, 5 million, are going to go through foreclosure in the next two to three years. Okay, now think about that. I'll put a link to this study in the show notes. 5 million homes and condos have yet to go through foreclosure in the next few years. Okay, that is going to be highly catastrophic to the overall economy, folks. And, and the fifth sign, the fifth warning sign about this economy is the number of Americans declaring bankruptcy. See, this is something that's not talked about much either. This is kind of kept quiet. This is kind of swept under the rug a little bit by the pinheads in, in our government. But the number of Americans who are declaring bankruptcy continues to just absolutely balloon I mean, in 2009, folks, 1.41 million, 1.4 million Americans filed for personal bankruptcy in 2009. 
Okay, that was a 32% increase over the previous year. 32% more people filed BK last year versus the previous year. That's a huge jump. Let me tell you what, folks. When someone files bankruptcy, it might get them out of their, their personal obligations in the short run. But somebody is left holding the bag. Somebody has to pay for that debt. Who do you think is going to pay for that debt? Are the creditors just going to throw their hands up and say, oh, well, we're never going to get that money? No, come on, let's get real. They may not get the money from the person that owes them the money, but they're going to get the money somewhere. And they're going to get it from you and me and the taxpayers. Okay, and the sixth sign is jobs. I mean, in some areas of the United States now, it's nearly impossible to get a decent job unless you have a connection. I feel blessed. I feel so blessed that this opportunity has come my way. Folks, I can't tell you how thankful I am that God has put this in my lap and I'm going to take full advantage of it. Because for a while there, this late this summer and this fall, I thought I was going to be unemployed. The way things were going, and it's a long story, I don't want to get into a whole lot of uh, details and stuff and all the sorted facts and things, but the way things were going with my previous employer was not looking good. It was looking like I was going to be out of a job by January. So I was able to stave off that disaster. And and God put this in, in uh, in my lap for the taking, and so I jumped on it. But it's tough out there, folks. It's really tough. The mayor of Detroit estimates that the real unemployment rate in his city is probably 45 to 50 percent. Okay, so sign number seven is is America needs jobs. People have to have jobs. But but the, the huge unemployment insurance taxes are discouraging small and mid-sized companies from hiring people. I'll say that again. The huge unemployment insurance taxes, the government extends unemployment to 99 weeks, right? You can now draw unemployment for 99 weeks. Who do you think pays for that? Small and mid-sized companies. Actually, probably all companies. They have to pay an insurance policy. That insurance policy covers your unemployment claims if you're out of work. And those... Claims and those, I mean, excuse me, those premiums and those taxes are going up and up and up. And according to the National Association of State Workforce Agencies, companies in 35 states will have to fork over even more in unemployment insurance taxes. That drives the cost of hiring a new person so high that it discourages people from hiring because they look at the long-term cost of hiring somebody. They don't just look at the hourly rate or the salary that they have to pay you or the commissions if you're in sales like me. They have to look, they have to take everything into consideration. A, a business owner has to take into consideration what kind of benefits is he going to have to pay for you, uh, he or she, what kind of unemployment insurance and liabilities and so forth could come down the road. And unless, and the more, you know, and folks, I'm not saying we should not help people that are out of work. But you know what the best help that we can do for someone out of work? You know what the best thing we can do for them? It's not pay them more unemployment. It's create jobs for them. But the job-killing policies of our government is not doing that. It's not creating the jobs that the people need. 
And so some of the people in our government think, well, the fix is just let's just keep on extending the unemployment insurance and let's just keep taxing the employers who have laid people off more and more money. That has a negative effect on job creation, folks. We're not going to be able to pull out of this recession, and the world's not going to be able to pull out of this until people are back to work earning money again. And when you do go back to work, folks, make sure you don't pile up the personal debt. Okay? Another sign that is you need to be looking at is the pension crisis. The United States has a huge pension crisis crisis going on right now. It's unprecedented magnitude. I mean, think about this. The, the, the truth is, is the vast majority of all pension funds in the U.S., public and private, are underfunded. There's not enough money to pay out what's owed to people. And with millions and millions of baby boomers now at retirement age or getting close to it pretty soon, there's just simply no way that all of the unfunded pension obligations can be met. Okay? And let me quantify that for you. A recent study that I'll link to estimates that the total amount of obligations, you ready for this, in all 50 United States, pensions that are owed to people, $3.2 trillion. $3.2 trillion of unfunded pension obligations. Ladies and gentlemen, if you spent $1 every second, let me tell you how much a trillion dollars is. If you spent a dollar a second every day, it would take you 31,000 years to spend $1 trillion. I'll say that again. Spending a dollar a second takes 31,000 years to spend $1 trillion. So it's going to take 93,000 years for you to spend the amount of money that is owed in unfunded pensions. And if we're $12 trillion in debt, you do the math. How many hundreds of thousands of years would you have to spend money to, to spend the equivalent of some of the debt and obligations that we owe, folks. That should put it into perspective for you. Not only that, let's talk about Social Security. Right? That's a system that's also a silent monster. Um, and I call it a silent monster because, you know, that argument was raised three or four years ago. Hey, what are we going to do about Social Security? Nobody wanted to touch it. Right? It was a political hot potato. Nobody wanted to touch Social Security. Well, we've got to touch Social Security, folks. We've got to do something about it. It's bankrupt. That's another system that the baby boomers are going to draw from. And it threatens to devastate the government financial coffers. In fact, most analysts right now are forecasting that the coming wave of boomers is basically going to uh, bankrupt the entire Social Security system. It's going to be wiped out in short order. That's not very promising, folks. And does it look like there's going to be any fix in sight coming up in the near future for Social Security? No, it doesn't. Do politicians even have that on their radar anymore? Is that even part of an agenda item anymore? No, it's not. 
Okay? I mean, you know, the healthcare system is now put on the radar. And that's a huge threat to our, to our economy. So what's that done? That's given Social Security a back seat. But yet there's this silent monster hit is sitting in the room about ready to start exploding again. So that's number nine. Number ten. The tenth warning sign. Last but certainly not least is our national debt, which is now at about $12 trillion. Do you realize, folks, that our national debt is rising $3.8 billion a year? Excuse me, $3.8 billion per day. $3.8 billion, with a B, dollars per day. $12 trillion. I said it takes 31,000 years spending a dollar a second to spend $1 trillion times 12 how many years is that? 360,000 years to spend $12 trillion? Good God, is that ever a large amount of money. And that's our national debt. Not the deficit, but that's our debt. That's how much we owe. Okay, and this is reality. This is not wacko thinking. I'm not engaging in, in you know, tinfoil hat crazy stuff. I'm, I'm speaking the truth here, folks. And, and I'll put links again to all this in the show notes so you can see where I'm getting my figures from. But the truth is, folks, is that the United States, both as a government and as a people, we're drowning in debt. Americans are broke. American businesses are broke. State governments can boast all they want about surpluses. What they don't tell you is they don't tell you about all the unfunded obligations, all the unfunded entitlements. And when you add in all the uh, unfunded entitlements and you subtract that from the states that do have a surplus, folks, states are broke too. The federal government is broke. And it looks like their attitude right now is the only way to keep things going is to borrow larger and larger amounts of money. But when we borrow even more money, we make our long-term problems even more dramatic. And the day of reckoning, I think, is coming for the, for the U.S., and it's coming quickly. And I think it's fast approaching, and I think we're headed for some extremely, extremely tough economic times. And we might be seeing a little bit of a blip right now, a slight little bit of a recovery, maybe. You might be able to call it a little bit of a recovery right now, although that's kind of a stretch. There are people saying that we're in a recovery, but I really think it's a stretch. So what can you do? Well, you can prepare, and you can do things... Like, worry, on, uh, worry about your finances as well. And worry about food. And worry about how are you going to continue to have food. Where are you going to continue to get food? How much food can you store? How long can you go if there's a food shortage? How long can you go if there's a money shortage in your family? Okay? How long can you go? How long can you sustain yourself and your family if you were out of work tomorrow? There's not much you can do about what the government is doing out there. You know, you can do things like vote the bums out. The people who keep spending all this money. But do you really think, do you really think that all the new politicians who were just recently elected are going to do everything that they said that they were going to do when they were running for election? Come on. If you think that, folks, I'm telling you what, uh, think again. It's not going to happen. 
So those are ten things to look for. And keep an eye on those. And pay attention to what's going on out there, folks. Don't be a sheep. Don't go to sleep. And put your head in the sand. Don't be like an ostrich and think this stuff is not going to happen. And don't think that if you ignore it, that it's just going to go away, because it's not. So since you can't really control what the government's going to do, and I wanted to paint that picture as to what they are doing, what you can control is you can control you. You can control your own life. And you can set yourself up to mitigate some of the problems that occur from some of this out-of-control spending and debt. And that's what I hope you do. And I've, I've done some, some shows and some podcasts on, on that before. I've done some shows on finances. I don't want this to be all about finances and so forth. I'm no financial expert. And I've struggled with this, folks. I've struggled with this most of my life. But I struggle no more. Because I believe what Dave Ramsey says. Live like no one else so that later you can live like no one else. Okay, Live today like no one else does. Like very few people are doing. Live frugally. Live smart. Don't engage in all the fancies. Don't keep up with the Joneses. Live like no one else so that later you can live like no one else. Because later, when things fall apart, later, whenever when the economy goes to hell, you might be the one that's surviving because today you lived like no one else so that later you can live like no one else when things are falling apart and other people can't live you probably could live can live because you took the steps to prepare and you took the steps to survive do it right now folks this minute start taking control and if you haven't listened to the previous 117 or 118 some odd episodes that I did leading up to this, uh, let me invite you to do that. If you're using iTunes, you can download them all for free off of iTunes. If you're just going to the website, todayssurvival.com, you can just get them off of there and you can download them as MP3s and you can save them to wherever you want to save them. And join our forum, folks. Our forum is full of a lot of nice people that are uh, that are willing to help and have excellent ideas. There's a lot of other good forums out there, too. I like to think that ours is, even though it's relatively small, 540-something-odd members, it's growing every week, and we have good quality folks on there, and we don't engage in a lot of personal attacks. We just share lots of good ideas. So join the forum as well. And also, let me take a little bit of a moment to talk about my CD coming up. We'll take a quick break, and then I have another topic for you. But I'm putting together a combination, survival and shooting CD. Uh, It's not all about guns, but guns will be part of it. But I'm going to talk about some more good preparedness information. And it's only $15. It's one way you can support the show. I'm going to release it on the 15th of December. Think about Christmas presents. If there's somebody that you want to turn on to survival, I'm going to make it very oriented towards a new survivalist. I've already got about almost half of it finished already. It'll be released on the 15th. If you don't want it in CD format, I'll just release a digital download. Uh, I'll give you a password to a website where you can just download it and save it to your iPod or MP3 player. Go to todayssurvival.com, click the Buy Now button, and you can order it for 15 bucks. Small investment, folks, to pay for some ideas on how to survive. 
Okay, and last but not least, my email is bob at todayssurvival.com. If you have some topics and things and questions and so forth, you can use that or you can jump on the forum. So with that said, let's take a quick break here. Uh, Just about like 15 seconds, 20 seconds worth of music, and then I'll be on for the second segment of this episode. Talk to you in a bit. Don't go away. All right, segment two. Let me talk a little bit about burnout and and balance. And I think this is one of the reasons why some people don't achieve their, their survival goals. Now, this applies to a lot in life, but particularly to preparedness. You know, I've seen this happen with people, and it's happened with me, so I'm going to talk about it. I've seen people get kind of burned out. I call it survival burnout. And that is they focus too much on a couple of areas. You know, maybe they're good gardeners, uh, and maybe they're good at canning food, and that's all they focus on. And unless you just absolutely 100% love to do that kind of stuff, it's easy to get burned out. Or or maybe that's all they like to do is, is, is you know, fish and hunt. Uh, and they get really good at fishing and hunting, but if that's all they do eventually, I mean, seriously, you, you're going to get burned out. I mean, some of you might be saying, Bob, what are you talking about? I'll never get burned out on fishing and hunting. Yeah, you probably would get burned out on fishing and hunting eventually, with rare exceptions. So, I mean, I get burned out on shooting, folks. I mean, I do. You know, I mean, if I if I was doing it every single day, I'd get burned out on it. I, I, I enjoy it, but I don't enjoy it that much. Couldn't afford to do it that much either. So I'm going to talk about both keeping everything in balance. See, I really believe that a big part of preparedness is balance. A balance of preparations. I think it's important to, to maintain that balance. Um, and for most people, when you start juggling the demands of a career and a personal life and things like that and your preparedness and your family obligations all that it's quite a challenge you know especially nowadays there seems to be so much that's that's heaped on us so much so many demands from us demands from our employer demands from our kids demands from school if you're still going to school i know some of you listen to this show and you're in college or you're taking some classes you know maybe to establish a new career or something like that and of course there's demands of a marriage and there's demands of everything and demands of our time and we get pulled in a lot of different directions and there's there's an elusive that i call a work life balance and you know especially for people who are are who who want to give 100% at everything and I've struggled with this because I like to do everything 100%. I don't like to do anything just partially. I like to do everything pretty much at 100%. And for a while there, I was out of balance trying to launch this show and launch this podcast and the forum and everything and the other podcast that I took on on, on handguns at the Handgun World Show. And so, you know, I, I finally had to cut back. I finally had to say, hey, you know what? Once a week is going to be good enough. Sometimes I do more than one show a week if I have the time. But I have committed to all of you one show a week, and, and that's, you know, I, I can do that. And to me, that I can keep it in balance, and I, can, and I can manage everything else that I do without getting survival burnout. Now, I want to talk specifically about the work-life balance, balancing those two. And I'll get into some other things as well and how it pertains to preparedness. But a lot of this has to do with prioritization. Um, if you want balance, 
and and not yeah and it's court you know folks some people don't want balance I mean not everybody strives for balance I do because when I'm out of balance I feel it and things start to suffering you know what there becomes a domino effect once one part of your life goes out of balance and you're too heavily focused on one area then you lose focus on something else and then it starts to spiral and then something else starts to spiral and before you know it folks you're you're in a free fall but there's some people that, 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 that don't mind that. There's some people that only care about one or two aspects of their life, and that's it. But if you are someone that wants to get more into balance, then um, you know, force yourself to edit yourself personally and professionally. That's kind of a, the only way that I can think of to put it. Uh, you have to use the edit function. You know, just like you edit a document or just like you edit a file, you have to edit yourself personally and professionally. You know, I mean, time. Let's talk about time for a minute. I've always said that time's one of the greatest assets you have, if not if not the most important asset you have. See, time, that you never get back. Time is finite. You only have so much of it. And when time goes by you, you do not get it back. It is not a renewable resource indefinitely. And consider all the things that compete for your time. Consider everything. And decide what to keep and what to throw away. There's some things you're going to have to throw away. There's some things in your life, and I don't know you, I don't know most of you personally, and there's no way I can begin to start to know all of my listeners personally. Some of you I do know, some, and most of you I don't. So, I can't tell you how to run your life, but I will bet... I'll bet there's some things in your life eating up your time that you just simply don't need. You have to edit those. Some of them you may just have to cut out. You know, I mean, I'll give you an example. There's some people that are just really generous with their time and love to volunteer. There's nothing wrong with volunteering. Uh, volunteering is an excellent preparedness uh, trait. If you like to volunteer, if you like to give yourself to organizations, you know, maybe you like to give yourself to humanitarian organizations. Uh, believe it or not, that's a survival skill. Maybe you like to volunteer uh, as, an, as a first responder or something. You can learn a lot from that. Just be careful not to spread yourself too thin. You know, there could be a person that volunteers for like three different nonprofits all at one time. That person's probably going to have to select the most meaningful one and stick with that one. Focus on it. And stop scattering their attention to all three, especially while they're trying to juggle a career and a family and everything else. So focus on the things that are important to you. And generally what I've found in my life, this might work for you. I don't know if it's going to work for you or not. It might. It might not. Well, you know, Take the best and leave the rest. Whatever works for you. But I find that I like to pick four. I can pretty much handle four. I can handle four things in my life that are important to me. And that's I prioritize. And those, those take the bulk of my time. And I call it the 475 rule. Those four areas in my life take 75% of my time. Everything else gets a chunk of the remaining 25%. And you want to know what those four are? In order, those four are God first, family second, preparedness third, and my job fourth. Yeah, folks, my job is fourth in my, on my priority list. My relationship with God is number one. My relationship with my family is number two because if my relationship with God is right, my relationship with my family is going to be right. Third is preparing in life. Being prepared. Being prepared as much as I possibly can for 
unforeseen events and foreseen events. You see, there's some things, folks, that you can predict is going to happen. You might not know exactly when it's going to happen, but you know it's going to happen. You know that the time is going to come where you're going to need something or need to know something or do something or fall back on something or fall back to a location or fall back on some supplies or whatever, or fall, fall back on some knowledge. Some of you know that the time is coming for that. So that would be a foreseen disaster, and of course, then there's unforeseen disaster. So that's third in my life, in my occupation, is fourth. Those four, God, family, preparedness, and my job, those four take 75% of the time. And that's the Bob Main 4 slash 75 rule. And I was taught that by my old mentor, and you know, it works. And there have been times, folks, I've taken on more than those four, and I've stuck them in the 75% of my time category. I've done that. I've added three, four, sometimes five extra uh, areas of my life, and I've thrown them in there, and I've and I've tried to you know put them into the seventy five percent category. In other words, they got seventy five percent of my time. It didn't work. It didn't work, folks. I was spread too thin. I got out of balance, and one of those four started su- suffering. Now, for you, it might be three or two or maybe six. You know, maybe you're you're a better multitasker than I am. I'm not all that good at multitasking. I mean, I'm not. I can I can do a podcast while I'm driving, like right now, and stuff like that. But that's about it, folks. That's about the extent of it. It's tough. <laughs> I mean, I, that's not one of my strong points. Maybe you're better at uh, multitasking than I am. Okay? Now, some of you, when you make your priorities, they will change. I'll say that that will change. Um, you know, if you'd have asked me 15 years ago what my top four are... Uh, 15, well, let's see, 15 years ago I was married, didn't have a, uh, a child at that time. So, yeah, I didn't have children taking up my, my time. But if you go back 20 years ago, my top four may have been different. And I certainly wasn't into preparedness as much as I should have been 20 years ago. Not nearly as much as I am right now. Shame on me. Okay, so, you know, think about that. The other thing I want to share with you about prioritizing is a lot of people, when they take on something in the, in the preparedness field, you know, especially when they're trying to learn something new, stick with what you enjoy. Uh, you know, I mean, folks, I don't really enjoy gardening, okay? I'll just be upfront with you on that. I don't enjoy it. I don't like to garden. I used to do a lot of it when I was a kid, you know, I helped my mom, and to me it was more of a chore. It wasn't anything that I liked. Some of you, I can tell you love gardening. I can tell by the posts that you put on the forum. You love it. That's fantastic. That's great. You know, there might be something else in preparedness you don't particularly like. It's okay to farm out other preparedness activities and and skills that you don't like. It's okay to network, to have family members, friends, or other relatives that are good at different skills, it's okay to farm some of those out. Okay, learn, you may have to learn to do some things you don't like. Now, I understand that in preparedness, we have to do some things that we don't like to do. That's, but if there's something you absolutely hate, folks, I'm going to tell you right now, if there's something you absolutely hate, you're not going to love it. You're not going to like it, and you're not going to want to prioritize it. I find myself trying to prioritize things I don't like, and I never stick with it. You know, I've just got, I've got that syndrome of starting it for two weeks and then I quit. So I don't know if anybody's ever you know talked to you about that before, but let me do that. You know, it's difficult to prioritize to make something your top four, top five preparedness priority, uh, priorities if you don't enjoy it, if you don't like it. 
Okay, now you may learn to like it. I know that there's some people that have said, well, you know, canning was not something that they ever thought they were going to like to do. But once they got into it, they started enjoying canning. That's fine. Um, you know, that's that's terrific. I've, I've started to enjoy fixing things. I'm learning. I'm teaching myself. I'm teaching myself to fix things around the house. And I'm teaching myself to learn to fix things on my car or at least know how to... Um, how to spot when things are wrong with my car and how to spot things that are wrong with mechanical devices and stuff. I'm learning that. I, I used to suck at that. I mean, seriously, I did. But you know what? I'm starting to enjoy it now. When something goes wrong with a mechanical device, I used to go, ah, I used to be the kind of person who says, call someone, let's fix it. That was me. But not anymore. Now, because I'm trying to save money, because I'm trying to learn skills in case the crap hits the fan, I want to have as many skills as I possibly can. Now I'm taking a different approach. And so I'm thinking to myself, all right, well, how can I learn how to fix this? Or how can I I at least learn how to better pinpoint the problem so that maybe I can go get the parts, save some money on the parts, and just pay somebody the labor to fix it? I mean, I recently did that with some car parts for this, uh, this vehicle I just purchased. Okay, there was something that had to be done to it, and uh, something that I wanted to add to it, and I was able to source the parts on the internet for about sixty percent of the cost of what the dealer wanted for them, and then I was able to pay a mechanic to install them because I couldn't figure out how to install them myself. It wasn't worth my time, but what I saved, folks, is I saved the product markup cost, I saved the parts markup cost, so things like that. Two years ago, I would have never done that. Two years ago, I whipped out my checkbook, or unfortunately, well, not two years ago, I wasn't using credit cards. I, I quit long before that, but nine or ten years ago, I would have whipped out a credit card and just handed it to somebody and say, here, fix this, and, and I'll pay the fee. Not so anymore, and I'm starting to enjoy that, and to me, it's now kind of starting to become a, uh, a cool challenge. It's something that now I'm, I'm challenging myself. You know, what can I figure out, and, and how can I figure out how to fix this mechanical device? So that's something, and, and so pick what you want to prioritize and make it a priori- priority, and you may learn to like it. So I'll give you that. But there may be some stuff you'll try and you'll say to yourself, I'm just not ever going to like this. Like, for example, some people say to me, I just don't like to shoot, Bob. And, and learning to shoot is not something that I really care to do. Well, that's fine. Then don't make learning to shoot a priority. If you hate fishing, don't make learning to fish a priority. If you don't like to trap animals, then, you know, don't, don't make outdoor survival one of your top priorities if you don't want to learn that kind of stuff. If you hate it. If you're not the outdoors kind of person. Don't force yourself. That's one of the things, one of the challenges, and that's where survival burnout comes. See, I think what happens, one of the reasons why people get survival burnout is because they try to force themselves to do things that they hate. It's not a bad idea to get some general knowledge on everything, but if you're going to study something in depth, you know, you're, you're probably going to find it's going to boil down to four or five, and that's okay. You know, there's some people that take the preparedness mindset that, that they have to know everything. That they have to know everything there is going to be to know if the stink hits the fan. I'm telling you, folks, you're, I, you know, I don't think, it's my humble opinion, you're not going to know everything you need to know if the stink hits the fan. It's just not possible to know everything. And if you're you're going to throw your life out of balance, I believe, if you force yourself to know everything. 
Okay, and last but certainly not least, I want to talk to you about organizing. You know, it's okay to prioritize and it's okay to go for the 475 rule, you know, the four things you like and spend 75% of your time in, in the four priorities of your life. But if you can't organize them, you know, being organized, you know, folks, I used to be one of the most disorganized people on the planet. So I can, I can talk to you about this. I used to be a scatterbrain. And it's taken me many years. It's taken me seven or eight years. And I don't, I don't consider myself a highly organized person, but I mean, I'm a, I'm a lot, I'm probably ten times more organized than I was seven or eight years ago. And you know, I, I can't tell you how to organize because I don't know what it is in your life that's not organized. But here's what I want to share with you: fix it, fix it. If you're not organized in something, and, and it's an important area of your life, fix it. And I tell you, finances is a good place to start. You know, once you start organizing your finances. You'd be amazed. Everything else, you can start organizing a lot easier. See, it, it just all seems to fall into place, folks. Have you ever noticed that? Can any of you relate to me on that? Once you start organizing your finances, it seems to be easier to organize other things in your life. It's, there's that discipline. I'm not sure what it is, but there's, just, there's that discipline that you learn. There's that um, organizational skill and that, that prioritizing. You know, because organizing your finances does force you to prioritize, doesn't it? And that, and that changes. As your income changes, your priorities are going to change. So, you know, that's huge. You know, some of you remember a few weeks back I talked about how my wife and I got organized with a lot of our stuff. Uh, we, had, we had a whole bunch of just stuff scattered all over the place. And we had this big, huge um, storage locker, this big storage unit. Uh, it was like a 10 by 20 storage. And the thing was just packed with a bunch of crap and junk we didn't need. And you know what the worst part about the fact that it was unorganized? We were paying for it. We were paying for something that wasn't organized. So we forced ourselves to go through it. It took several days for us to go through it all. We got rid of a lot of junk we weren't using. And we organized it. We put it all into storage bins and storage containers. We had a whole bunch of those um, plastic storage containers that we had left over from one of our moves. And it forced us to go through things, get rid of some, and the stuff that we kept, we organized it. And now it's all under one roof. And not only do we, do we now save the money, we don't have that monthly outgo. All right, we cut our spending, the responsible thing. We don't have our monthly outgo, but now we know where, where most of our stuff is, and it's a good feeling. It really is, folks. It's a good feeling to know where your stuff is. I know that may sound simple. I, may not, I know that may sound basic, but a, a, a basic tenet, I think, of, of a good prepper is to know where your stuff is. I mean, can you, can you walk into your house or can you walk onto your property or if you have a storage shed, can you, can you walk in there and identify where 90% of your stuff is right now? You know, because think about it. What if the crap hits the fan? What if it truly is a disaster? Things happen quick, don't they? And you may be in a situation where you have to very quickly find something and start putting it to work or start using it. Can you do that? If you can't find it quickly now, what makes you think you're going to find it quickly if some disaster hits? Think about that. Can you find something that you need within a matter of a minute or less? Can you find a, uh, uh, your supplies? Can you find a tool? Can you find whatever it is that you've got stored up? Can you get to it within 60 seconds or less? Sometimes you may only have a minute, maybe a minute and a half to react. That's part of preparedness. 
You know, are you organized enough to be able to do that? And this is tough, folks. This used to be tough for me. I mean, you know, not only could I not find something within a minute, I didn't even know what the heck I had. My wife and I, neither one of us knew what the heck we had. I mean, there was stuff we were going through that storage locker. <laughs> I got to tell you, there's stuff we ha- we forgot we had that stuff. I'm serious. You know, we would find something, we'd go, oh, yeah, I, I didn't know we still had this. I, I thought we lost this. No, we didn't lose it. It was just jammed away in a bunch of junk. And it was covered up by 14 other things. And that's why we didn't know we had it. And you know what? Another reason we didn't know we had some of that stuff is because we didn't use it. Stuff that you don't use on a regular basis, you tend to forget that you have. And that's why I say get rid of stuff you haven't touched in a year or a year and a half. Or if maybe two years is your benchmark. But come up with some kind of a limit and say, hey, you know what? If I haven't used this, I'm probably not going to. You know, I think a lot of preppers become a pack rat, and they become they go way too far. They become too much of a pack rat. I'm going to warn you against that. Some of you may disagree. Some of you think hoarding and accumulating as much stuff as possible is the key. I'm not quite so sure about that. I'm really not quite so sure about that, because if you study people in disasters, if you study people after an emergency uh, situation hits them, you've got to react, and you have to react decisively and quickly, and with a firmness of purpose. And if you can't find stuff, if you don't even know you've got stuff, or you know you have it, but you don't know where it is, and you haven't seen it in months or years, how are you going to be able to act quickly and decisively and with firmness of purpose? And find that. Find that object, or find that supply, and put it into work. Think about that. So, you know... You chew on this. You you think about what I'm saying, but I think it's important to be organized, and I think less is more sometimes. I don't mean, I don't mean you know live on shoestrings. I mean you know there is the book Shoestring Survivalism, which is a fantastic book. You know, but but even Andy James talks a lot in Shoestring Survivalism about you know at least making doing a lot with what you have, with the little bit that you have. And he does, he does talk about accumulating supplies and accumulating things. But just don't over-accumulate. I think less is more to a certain extent. You just don't want to go too far to the lesser extreme of having you know, too little of stuff because then you won't be prepared. I don't know if you guys ever watched the show Hoarders, but my goodness, that is a sickness. Right? Have you ever watched that show? That is a complete sickness. And some of those people think that they're preparing. That's the, that's the shame of it all. They think that they're prepping. They really do. Some of these people on the show, Hoarders. Have you ever seen that show, Hoarders? I think it's on Discovery. I've, I've seen several episodes of it. I just I look at that and I'm, I'm amazed. I'm like, are you kidding me? People actually accumulate this kind of stuff? And, and some people accumulate stuff so bad to the point where it's not even sanitary. I mean, just, you know, I, and I'm not saying that's you. I'm not saying it's you. But there are people out there that do that. But I've been to people's places where they just have so much stuff that they don't know what they have. So that's it. I'm not going to harp on that too much, but I would warn you against that. And so that's going to lead me to close the show, and that's going to lead me to what I love to say when I sign off. And I hope that I've given you some more ideas on keeping yourself in balance, prioritizing, uh, and some things to watch out for, some things that are going on. And this is kind of like two separate shows that I rolled into one, you know, because at first I started talking about the economy and things to watch out for and, uh, and 10 things you need to pay attention to and make sure that you're keeping an eye on out there economically and where our country's headed in the United States. And then 
segment two, I talked about, you know, balance and, and prioritizing and organizing and, and doing things that you like. So it's kind of two shows, but I thought there were two pretty important topics, and I wanted to get them out there for you to listen to. But do what you can with what you have, wherever you are. I think that is so important. If you really think about that, do what you can. And maybe there's only a certain amount of things you can do. Maybe what you can do is limited. That's okay. Do what you can. Your best is good enough. With whatever you have at the time. And if you take the philosophy that less is more to a certain extent, then learn how to do multiple things with what you have. I love the thread that M. Barnaddle starts. He, he likes to update on our thread. I think he started it. And that is uh, thinking of alternative uses for uh, various items. And he likes to do that, start a thread on the forum. Alternative uses for many different items. And so if you're not a member of our forum, jump on that and just search alternative uses in the search function. You'll be able to see it. That's doing what you can with what you have, wherever you happen to be. Disaster may not strike while you're at home. Disaster could strike while you're out on the road. Disaster could strike when you're at somebody else's house. It could start. It could hit you when you're in school. It can hit you when you're at work. It can hit you when you're out in the wilderness on a hiking trip or a hunting trip. It can hit you when you're commuting in your vehicle from your house to your job each day. It could hit me while I'm driving around the states of Texas and Oklahoma doing my job. You never know where it could hit you, but do what you can with what you have wherever you are. And if you think about that, and, and you know, Teddy Roosevelt said that, those, aren't, those are his, his words, not mine, but if you think about that, it's so true, isn't it? So thanks again for tuning in to another episode, folks, of today's survival show. My name is Bob Main, and it's my goal to help you harness the power of choice, to live life the way you want to live it, watching out for where our country is headed and prioritizing and balancing your life, and therefore strengthening your resolve. I try to keep survival simple, folks, not extreme. So do what you can with what you have wherever you are, and I will catch you next week. Have a great one. Bye.